Trunau sits in the hold of Belkson, surrounded by tribes of hostile orcs. The situation is bad enough that the townsfolk keep a vow to keep their hope knives close, to finish themselves off before the orcs can do worse to them. But now come evils worse than before, for trouble follows Trunal like crows. A simple suicide is just the first step to uncovering a conspiracy of orcs, dragons, giants, and more. Trunal's defenders will journey across the Minespin Mountains, passing through fire and death till the lightning falls. Sugarfield Gamers, in association with RPG MP3, present Giant Slayer, a Pathfinder adventure path. Episode 1 If I could get true now to understand any one single thing about me, I guess it would be this. That I didn't choose to be this, and I had no control over it. That if it were as easy as choosing another way, any other way, I would. My name is Tomar Stormcrow, and if you know anything about the dwarves, that last name will tell you something. Real dwarves carry clan names like Silversmith or Steel River, passed down from their fathers. I am a bastard of no clan. Old enough by now to recognize my mother's vague romantic tales of my father to be lies. I was gifted the Stormcrow name by the uh, good folk of Trunal. I've always been different. Five foot tall, two hundred pounds, puts me broader than most wolves, taller than all my kin I've ever met, and even a head height on some of the humans in Trunal. I'm a sorcerer. It's like a wizard, but instead of learning the magical arts from the books, instead of controlling them, it just sort of bubbles out naturally. It took years to learn to control it anywhere near proper, and in true now, a reputation's made right quicker than that. Growing up was bad. Strange lights that didn't come from no candle. People feeling weak around me, slipping downstairs. The winds that blow round me, and the lightning. Every storm without fail. Our house had more lightning rods than the rest of the town put together. Trouble followed me like crows, and everybody knew it. The better folk just treated me like I was a lightning rod, drawing in all the bad, and if they stayed too long around me, they'd get struck. The worst folk chased me, called me names, threw stones, kicked me. The worst folk I don't even want to talk about. I was a damn good soldier, and a decent smith, but my powers cost me those jobs, and plenty more. Too many accidents. Hard to blame them. People got hurt. I may not have meant to do it, but that doesn't mean it's not my fault. My crow friend Gail came in one night on the wings of the storm. My familiar, my only friend. The only real gift the storms ever gave me. Whenever the storm comes, the nightmares come with it. And they're getting clearer, harder to forget. Something's coming to true now. A future of shadows and flames and darkness. Actually, I changed my answer. There is one thing I wish more than choosing not to be like this. If I could have true now understand any one thing about me, it'd be this. A lightning rod may draw the lightning, but it also keeps the house from burning down. The World of Galarian 
the hold of Belkson. It is nine years after Caelan founded Stagthorn, and two years after the end of his perils and settling down into a more permanent kingdom. Mm-hmm. It is the year 4725. Mm-hmm. And the camera pans over the world of Galerion and zooms in on Beltson, where we see orcs fighting, raiding, ambushing passing travellers, fighting amongst each other, and even just relatively at peace, eating and camping. The land is a land of orcs. But there is one small town, the very north of Beltson, which is not an orc town. Town of True Now. And the camera zooms in on True Now. And we see the village, the Hope Spring, the walls, walls the, t- the houses. But there are no people in the streets because True Now is being swept up by a terrible storm. The wind howls, lightning strikes, it aches, and um, everyone is inside. And we, the camera pans in on one house in particular, a very small house in the extreme north of the town. It's a, it's a very tidily kept house in some ways, but slightly ramshackle. It has a slightly ramshackle look. There are burn marks signs of recent repair, and on the roof, 12 lightning conductors all lined up. Uh, And lightning strikes one of the conductors and arcs down, and by its light, we see inside the house a dwarf asleep in bed. It's Tomar Stormcrow. So, you've had the dreams your whole life. They've haunted you, and they've kept you awake. They've always been a problem. But over this past year, they've gotten worse. Not more frequent. Your whole life, it's been pretty consistent. You have them between once a month and once a week. But they're more intense. You see the same thing, the same kind of things, lightning, storms, war, destruction... Devastation. You are, when you were young, you asked your mother questions that you sh- about things that you shouldn't have known about that you'd seen in your dreams. And, and now that you're older, you understand more about what you're seeing, but you still don't really understand. You've never known why you have them and what they mean. But over the past year, that question has become to, begun to consume you. You can feel that there's something important, something you're missing, some reason this is happening, some reason you're seeing this. And tonight, for the first time, as the lightning sparks and strikes, as the storm rages outside, a storm almost as bad as the storm... How old are you? 52? Sorry? How old are you? Uh, Good question. Uh, 56. The storm 56 years ago... Uh, almost as bad as the storm 56 years ago that they say was the worst storm to ever strike to now. The storm that happened the night you were born. As the storm rages and the power throbs in it, the lightning strikes. And you sit up in the bed and your eyes open 
and for a moment you understand everything. You understand what's happening and why, who you are and why you're important, what's going on and what you need to do to stop it. You understand everything. It all makes sense and it's perfect and it's beautiful and it's what you've always wanted and you can't hold on to it. It's too much. And as you try and hold on to it, it slips and shatters in your hands and you're left with only shards and fragments, things that happened in the past, things that happened, things that are going to happen in the future, things that matter. And the camera flickers and we see what Tamar sees. We see the past and the future. And it starts with 56 years ago. It starts with another storm. Mm-hmm. So, again, we see a, a storm raging. This one is even worse, and everyone is battered down in their houses, except one woman who's struggling through the storm, which is clearly too intense and no one should be out in it. She's struggling and she falls, she gets back up, and she's heading for one house in particular, and as she gets to the doorway... She bangs on the door. And no one answers. She bangs. She glances over the hill and she can see, and you can see that there's something burning off in the distance. Lightning strikes, aches a nearby lightning conductor because most people have one. And, um, she jumps and it just continues to furiously bang on the door. And finally, someone comes down and opens the door and lets her in. And, and you know, the, she comes inside, she's completely soaked to the skin, and she's a human woman, and there's another human woman who's come out to greet her and dusts dust her down and gets a towel and wraps it around her shoulders, settles her in front of the fire and shuts the door very firmly. She says, Mary, what are you doing out here? I thought you would have stayed with, I thought you would have stayed with your patient. Look at this, look at this weather. How could you be out in this weather? Why, why didn't you stay? The woman looks at her. I couldn't stay another night in that house, Hara. I wouldn't have got a wink of sleep, I know it. She sits down. What do you mean? Did she have the child? Aye, she did. Mary just kind of looks at her and she says, It's only... He was big. Too big. I nearly wasn't able to save her. Wouldn't have if it wasn't for the grace of Sherilyn that's on her. You know how it is with Lena. She's always had that blessing. It saved her life tonight. I hope... I hope she'll never regret living. No, just looks. What do you mean? The child, he was... Born with a call, hiding from the world. Teeth and fingernails, and too big, bigger than any dwarf baby has a right to be. And look at this. Trunau's never known a storm this bad. And... I I saw there's a fire in the distance. I think it's outside the walls. I think it's the church. 
I saw the lightning strike it as I was coming over the hill. It's burning. They'll all die, the people. It's bad luck. He's bad luck. I couldn't, I couldn't stay the night in the same house as him. I couldn't. Um. Oh, Hara, I, I had to save her. I had to save him. It's my job, it's what I do, but I wonder if the town, I wonder if we'll all pay for me saving his life tonight. And the camera pans again through the storm to one particular small little house. Mm -hmm. It's very tidy, no damage at all, and only one lightning conductor on the roof. And inside, we can hear a woman singing. Then we cut forward in time. So the idea is these are flashes yeah. of your past yeah. and, and then they'll cut forward into the future and that's that. So the next scene in Tamara is now a little bigger. Yeah. Um, you're about five or six and you've just had a really bad dream and you've cried out and Alina has come in and to see you. She comes in, she's got a little, uh, uh, she's got a little um, candle that she lights to a candle in your room. Yeah. I heard you crying out. So that candle out too and comes and sits on the bed beside you and straight. Are you alright? Am I reactive here, or am I watching this page? No, this is this is. I'm playing this out as a player. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Find my voice. Yeah, and then make it small for a kid. <laughs> yep, take a moment and um, get yourself ready. It was the dream again, Ma. It was the dreams again. Oh, my son! And she kind of scoops you onto her lap, so you're sort of resting with your head on her lap. It's so hard for you sometimes, isn't it? I saw, I saw, and he sort of pulls his bed sheets up and then just scrunches them in his hands in frustration. I don't know what I saw. It's going to stop soon, right, Ma? He bites her lip. I hope so. But I don't know. It's been a long time since I had any dreams, but from what I can remember, they do go away sometimes when you're bigger. I think that it might stop, but you're a very special boy. Your father was a very special man, and you have a great destiny. And I think maybe that's why you have the dreams. Maybe they'll make more sense when you're older. Maybe you'll be able to understand them better. Little Toma will sort of snuggle mm. into her arms. Okay, Ma. Can you... 
Can you stay until I go back to sleep again? Of course. She sort of settles yep. him down and then settles in next to him. The next scene's when Thomas about ten. So these are um, ten and human, human, human equivalent. Yeah, yeah, human equivalent to ten. So um, you're um, um, out in the village proper, yep. and um, there's a bunch of older kids around, or bigger kids anyway. Although when you're a dwarf, it's not hard to find bigger kids. Yeah, yeah. And they're um, you're in the um, center of the group, and they're shoving you around. So one of them shoving you, and then another one will come. That's sort of you're in the center, and they're pushing. Stormcrow, bad luck. Why didn't you just get out of here? Why didn't you go live with the orcs? He will fall and then get up with sort of smudges of dirt now on his cheeks. And, and at that point, they start, they fall back a bit and start just hitting mud at you. Yeah. Um, Tamar will roar at them with a sort of vaguely incoherent, piss off and dwarf them. Yeah. And then just runs forward towards them and swings wildly yeah. at the biggest one there. Yeah. Who, um, promptly gets you in a headlock. Yeah. And, um, several, several more of them punch you and then they throw you to the ground. Yep. Yeah. And um, this might be making Tomar feel a bit angry. Yeah, unquestioningly. Yeah, and at that point, something happens. So he falls over, looks up and glares at them. Do you want to define the something, or shall I define I'm happy for you to define Okay, so at that point, something slips inside your head, and you feel you wish something bad will ha- would happen to all of them. And it does as an unexpected hailstorm just comes across and it starts hailing out of a clear blue sky and hailstones rain down and they all scream and pretty much panic um, and um, start fleeing. And um, the hail just kind of avalanches down in an area in a circle where they were and you're just left in this completely calm, clear area in the centre. And then as they run off, and you can definitely hear one of them says, I'm going to tell. I'm telling. I'm telling. And you're just sitting there watching the hail. Uh, Is there anything in particular that you would like to play out? No, I'm, no. I'm good. I'm, happy. Cool. I'm perfectly happy with what you're doing. Cool. So um, we now jump forward quite a bit in time. To- a bit in time. Tomar is um, a young man, um, a human equivalent of sort of early mid- to mid-twenties. Yeah. And um, you're sitting at a table across from um, a man that you know, this is Roderick Graf. He's the um, one of the patrol captains of Trunau. Yep. And um, you're in the Trunau militia. Uh, and um, he's just kind of come in and taken a seat. You've been doing your militia service, and it was going well for a while, but recently, not so well. I think you might know what I need to tell you, what I've been asked to tell you. 
what's his um, what, what's his title? What would I address him as? Um, either this, this Roder- is my military command. Yeah, um, either Captain Graf or Roderick. Captain Graf. Yeah, okay, given the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. So I can give you a little recap of what's just recently been happening. Sure. So um, your military service started out pretty well. People said you had a gift. You yeah. were, um, you've been fighting well, but. As things frequently do, it started to go a bit downhill. People started to say that you were bad luck. There were, there were accidents on duty. And a couple of people really started to have it in for you and um, have been sort of discreetly bullying you behind the scenes. Yeah. And um, one of them, you've heard, has just slipped and broken his leg. Uh, one of the one of the most notorious anti tumar people has yep. just recently broken his leg. I sir, no, I'm older now. <clears throat> I sir, I think I know. I I never laid a hand on Fredericks. I know. It was an accident. He he slipped on the stairs and uh, broke his leg. Unfortunately, he's not the first, and there there is something of a pattern. Now, I understand that it's ridiculous to hold you accountable every time someone has an accident, but Father says that the men won't have it. I'm sorry. Tamar will sort of visibly take a breath, close his eyes, and just calm himself at this. And he... With all due respect, Captain, you're making a mistake. I'm a better soldier than any two of those boys put together. I know. You'll be a tremendous loss, us to the militia. I don't... I don't want to do this. But Father was very clear. He feels we'll have a general mutiny if you're to stay on. And we, I'm sorry, we, we can't afford that. I understand, sir. The needs, the greater needs of the troops, the greater need of the troop and of the true now militia comes first. I appreciate your understanding, particularly under these circumstances. You'll be kept on to the end of the month and discharged with full pay and no prejudice. You've more than done your compulsory service. They'll, um, I've spoken to the men personally and we'll keep this as quiet as we can. I know that there's prejudice against you in the town, and I don't want this to add to it. Is there nothing else we can... This is what I want to do with my life. Sir, defend Trunhau. I can be more than just another face on the wall serving out my, cons- my, serving out my mandatory service. I wanted to stay. I... And again, he sort of breathes, settles himself. But I understand that unit cohesion is important, sir. The others don't care for what happens around me. 
Can't blame him for that. I'm afraid not. I, I'm sorry, Tamai. You're a great soldier. I'm sorry. And that's... <laughs> yeah. He holds out a hand. And Tamara's just going to wait for half a half a moment mm. to, too long and then shake it. Yeah. That we close scene there. Uh, in fact, um, we would then have, you know, shake his hand. Um, permission to leave, sir. Of course. Walk out with, you know, trying to keep a calm face, walk around the corner, and then just turn around as soon as I'm around a corner alone and just punch the wall as hard as I can. Ah! Again! Again! Every damn time! Ah! So, lose it in private. Yeah. And we have, um... Tom R is about a, a good few years older now. This is coming up on the present. Yeah. And, um... You are sitting in a um, small, all smithy, the smithy of clamour, across from um, Sarah, um, the sh- uh, Shawnte half orc blacksmith. Yep. And the two of you are just sitting at the table, looking around the smithy, and um, there are clear signs that there's been a recent fire. Yeah. Some stuff in the smithy has burned. And it's clearly been put out, and it's all under control now. Yeah. And, um, you know, but it's clearly going to take some time to repair. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I I don't know what happened. I quenched the iron just like you taught me. But the water just got hotter and hotter. It boiled over until it was all evaporated. didn't take more than half a minute. The thing of it is, I've never had an apprentice as good as you. Never. And I've kept you on after the first time and the second time. But this place is made of wood. This whole damn town's made of wood, for that matter. And I'm not too far away from several other houses. And one of these times, it's going to catch big. Not like this one. And it's... I'm sorry. I don't know. Have you ever thought of going up to Janderhof? They they smith and you know big stone forges. That's what you need. A stone forge, nothing to burn. I can't leave my mother. Trunau's home. Home. Well, Trunau's where I live. I'm sorry. I, I've never had an apprentice as good as you, but I, I just can't take the risk. I understand. I breathes again. I hear that you're sorry. And then sort of mutter slightly under my breath and dwarven everyone's always sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not she's fixed dwarven. Yeah. Um she doesn't you get the impression from the look on her face that she has a pretty good understanding of what you said, but she doesn't ask for a translation. She just sort of gets up and t- turns and has her back to you and starts sort of trying to clean up. Yeah. Can I help you put things back together again? Yeah. I'd appreciate that. And I'll pay you off for that last piece you did for me. And I'll move over and pick up, like, one of the loose planks where it's fallen, 
And as I do so, it's just going to snap in two. Yeah. And he looks at it, puts it back down on the ground, and maybe I'd better just leave you with this. I uh, maybe maybe that'd be best. And she just kind of le- the, the silence is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and he will look awkwardly around. Stroke the beard slightly, turn, exit stage left, pursued by burning blacksmithy. <laughs> and at that point, you know that these things happen. You, you remember these things, yes. except the very first Obviously. one. But you na- but you sense that the reason that you're seeing them again is because they matter. They're important somehow. Mm. And you see other things you haven't seen in before, or that you've only seen in your dreams, but you know that all of this is important, all of this means something. You see plains overlooked by mountains. It is a battlefield long past, with bones scattered here and there. The old rusted weapon stands up in the ground, in the ground and a few crows and ravens clear, still peck hopefully at carcasses, which clearly have no more flesh to give. Your vantage rises up in the air, and you see the plains spread out before you, and the mountains rising beside it, and the valleys and hills beyond the mountains. As far as you can see, all is empty, barren, and desolate. Aside from the crows and ravens, you see no other signs of life. You hear a voice singing. It sounds important somehow, like something you need to know, but you can't quite make out the words. A group of dark figures dressed in leather armor slip quietly through the night, long blades at their sides. They approach a small building, and one of them points the others to surround it. She pulls out lockpicks and begins working on a window. One small, old half-orc boy stands alone at a ring of tormentors, larger human boys and girls. They push him down, throw mud at him, call him names. It's a very familiar scene, but you can see it's not you. Whenever he tries to break free, they shove him back in. Finally, they throw him down in the mud, hit him a few times, and leave him there. He pulls himself up, wiping the blood from his nose. Someday you all pay for this. I'll make you pay. An enormous giantess dances around her bedroom dressed in a white gown. She has large, lush red hair, and as she dances, she pulls the petals off the daisy she holds in one large hand. He loves me. He loves me not. You enter a dark tent with two braziers burning inside. A dark-robed figure raises a hand in welcome. So you come at last. I have waited long. A very quiet woman's voice, weak and almost a whisper. My dearest love, I pray you protection and grace, strength and beauty. Your guardians will watch over you as you go. Where I cannot follow. You hear a horn blowing and see a massive doorway set into a hillside. Two stone urn doors are slowly pushed open and something terrible emerges. In life she was a giant, but she lives no longer, and cold consumes you as she emerges from her tomb. Someone has this danger in dreams, especially for you. The 
The giantess is flung on her bed, arms and legs and akimbo, sobbing inconsolably. A wisp of smoke trickles from the chimney of a stone cottage. Its front door has been bashed inwards. Loud crashing noises come from within, and you can hear the sound of a baby crying. A group of giants heard terrified a dwarven captives at the point of their spears into a dark cave. One of them speaks up. Now we need to decide, slaves or dinner. He laughs coolly at, at one terrified man. For you, everything is over. From deeper within the cave, one voice speaks up calmly. No, it's over for you. You are looking down into a huge valley. Below you can see hundreds of giants. There are giant families preparing meals, a huge fighting pit where you can see multiple battles taking place, and giants trudging along a dirt road, bringing supplies to a huge stone building that towers over the valley. At your ear, someone whistles. All right, maybe a frontal assault isn't our best move here. Burly half-old man shoves you hard on the chest. If I agree to take you, you all have to work and work hard. I've got no time for dead weight. Hordes of orcs sweep through the main gate and charge into the town of Trunau, howling wall cries. The sun is setting and the walls look red as blood, as though the fighting has already started. A cold voice. All information can be had for a price. But in this case, the price may be high. What will you pay? A harsh voice answers. Anything. A chiming sound or ringing fills your ears, growing louder and louder. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever heard, yet you feel almost frightened by it. A loud, confident voice speaks. At last! You feel a sudden cold chill in your stomach. It's too late now. You're in a dark hallway, tucked into the shadows. You can hear loud voices arguing on the floor below. Both voices sound familiar, but they're so distorted by anger you can't place them. Before you bring that filthy scum into my home, I'll see you both dead. Don't worry, father. This isn't my home, and I won't be back. A door slams loudly. You see a massive table with huge fire giants seated all around. One of them stands up and unfolds a map, showing the mind-spin mountings that surround it. Only together can we achieve all that we have dreamed. The human woman sits quietly on the bed, looking at something into my in her hand. I swear to you, my only love, someone will pay for this. You see an elderly half-orc with white hair, a scarred face and wild eyes, and it grabs you by the shoulders. It's you! Twelve candles stand in a row on the stone floor. The first two are lit, the rest are lit. A voice whispers, I will light each pair in turn, but you must return before the last burns out, or you cannot return at all. Finally, you're in a small dark place. You can see a little face peering in. See a small determined hand reach in next to you and grab something. You can hear gumming sounds and the sound of someone arriving. You can hear them sigh. 
Look at you. You're all over dust. What is that you're chewing on? Give it here. Here, a tug of war. It's I again. You really want that, don't you? All right, little one. I suppose it's all, it's yours anyway. The voice turned softer. Such a pretty boy. You have a great destiny, you know. You can hear the sound of them walking away. You win, small one. You can keep your toy. After all, what harm could it do? And the power coursing through you sparks out. And you're just sitting in the bed. The storm's still raging. Yep. And you know that that's all. You can't put it. You know there was more, but you can't put any more of it back together. That's all you're getting. That's all you've got. So Tamar will sit up in the bed. Um, and at this point, the camera gets the first decent view of actual adult Tamar. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, this is a dwarven house designed for dwarven-sized people. Yeah, so you're proportionate to everything that's in here. Yeah. Um, but as Tamar stands at a uh, terrifyingly tall height of five feet yep. and an epic weight of 210 pounds, um, not, inor- not, not like freakishly gargantuan for a dwarf, but definitely... Abnormal. It's sort of the equivalent of being a, um, you know, seven foot three basketball player. Yeah. Kind of thing. So in the bed that he's in, he's not quite cramped and contorted in it, but he definitely fills it from head to toe. Yeah. The feet at the very edge of the wooden bed frame. Um, and he will sit up at the bed. At this point, he's just wearing sort of a plain grey long nightshirt all the way down for what he's sleeping in. Um, sits up on the end of the bed. Rubs his face, runs his fingers through his hair, and just sort of pauses for a moment and frantically concentrates, trying to catch the last remnant of the dreams that are escaping, and then poof, realizes it's gone. Uh, it's that draining away sensation, you know. You try and you have you, you try and catch hold of yeah. it, and you can and feel the more I catch it, the more it, it slips the, away. The, the more it slips away. So uh, Tamar has sort of withered withered, quite withered white skin, um, hair that is black going a little premature, going, growing, glowing prematurely to grey, a classic dwarven beard, not particularly long, um, also black going to grey, and then grey eyes with just a flicker of vague blue like lightning in them. Awesome. And he will get up at this point, realize the dream slipped away, and goes over to the window where he will unshutter one of the windows, which I imagine is bolted quite heavily. Yeah. Sort of pull it back carefully so it doesn't make a bang and rouse the rest of the house, and just stick his head out the window for a moment and let the rain splatter him in the face to wake him up a bit. There's nothing worse than when you wake up from that and then you immediately go back to sleep and you get caught in that cycle of weird fever dreams. Yeah. And... After a moment of that, he pulls slightly back and just looks out the window at the storm. And from behind him, there's an, ah, the dreams again, the dreams again. And a little flat noise, and something lands on his shoulder, and it is a crow um, with black feathers and little eyes that are the same color as Tomar's, gray with the tiny little blue streaks like lightning in them. 
and there's been some talk about that. Mm. <laughs> well, so you've got to get pretty close to, to yeah. pick that up. But, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The crow leans, sits on Tamara's shoulder and cranes her head round to him. What did you dream of this time? Uh, like the other time scale. But different this time. I saw something. I think it was the storm I was born in. And then bits of my past... And then a lot of he grasps at the thin air. Pieces, images, giants, violence, dark places, candles. I, I don't know. I think I may have seen Catreza, the old half walk from up at the sanctuary, maybe. Uh, it's slipping away. Most of it was probably just the same. And he stares out into the storm for a long moment. Lightning. And the end of all things. And as you stare out, yep. lightning strikes elsewhere in the town. Yeah. Well... I think that's us done sleeping for the night. <laughs> Shut the shutter off. Go over. Um, sit back down on the bed. Um, I actually don't need to light a candle because I'm a dwarf. That's very true. You can read in the dark. Yep. Well, that sounds great. I, uh, 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 an advantage of dark vision I hadn't thought about, but that would actually be tremendous. Unfortunately, Gail can't read in the dark. Quite true. But she must be well used to um, just... Um, Chilling in the darkness. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you're going to sit up and read and you seem to be okay, Gail might well go back to sleep. Yeah. So next to Tamar's bed, he's basically got the wooden bed frame. Yeah. And then just a wooden pole, effectively just a wooden pole that has been hammered into the side of it. Yeah. That's just literally a little roost. Yeah. She just flies back over, ah, sits down, tucks her head back in, back in under her, tucks her beak back under her wing. Well, some of us are going to get some sleep if you're going to read. If you're going to read most of the night again, <laughs> just just so I calm myself, just just so I'm organised. <laughs> Heard it before. <laughs> I don't think crows snore. <laughs> no, but I think you know that's the sound of it. They, I think they um, probably hum or trill in their chests a little bit. They make little sleepy bird noises. I mean, Gail only. Um, Partly resembles a normal crow anyway, yeah. because she's expressly a magical beast at yeah. this point, as opposed to actually an animal. Uh, and um, uh, what is it that we speak here? What's our default? Is it Teldane? Uh, I believe that's what I've got written this comment. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Teldane because yeah, yeah, it's Teldane because yeah. um, we're not that far away from. Um, for, we're not from that far from Corvosa, and we're not that far from um, the River Kingdoms. Yeah, so that's what he's speaking to Gale, and yeah. because she speaks a, a language, and right. thus it is Teldane. Right, okay, she doesn't speak Dwarven? Uh, I would assume that, um, given the concept that it's basically a language that um, I've imparted to her via magic, 
it's the one that's most useful for her, and that makes it's the sense. one that's most useful for me. Because the um, people around the house would mostly speak Dwarven, but people around the town will, of course, speak pretty exclusively to El- Teldane, except for the Dwarves. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that it's a talking crow is not something that I necessarily publicised all in sundry, but yeah. nor is it a particularly big secret. Yeah, I mean, certainly the people you interact with regularly would know. Yeah. Um, familiar. Yay. Yes, uh, after a couple of levels, uh, I get to the point where Gail can speak to me in a completely mystical language that only the two of us understand. So oh, that's all awesome. secret conversations I want. But at present, she speaks a language, and yep. I deem it to be Teldane. Yep, sounds good. And she has a whopping six intelligence. Yep. Her is smarter than Fredericks. <laughs> You're holding that grudge. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. If he hadn't fallen down the stairs, I'd still be a soldier. Yep. And it's not my fault that he said the strength just drained out from him. <laughs> That's not something I did on purpose. Yeah, it was the wor- it was the worst accident someone who was saying mean things about you had. It wasn't the only accident someone who was saying mean things about you had. I'm I'm calling that they've all felt um, similar details. Yeah, um, like all the strength just drained out of their bodies. Yeah. Yes, he said he caught, sh- should have been able to catch himself on the stairs, but he it was yeah, like they he just kind of went spaghetti legs. Yeah. Fortunately, now I can control it into razor and feeble it. Yep. Yes. Now, when you're concentrating on it, you can totally control it. Yeah. And if the, you were concentrating on it all the time, you wouldn't have any problem anymore. Well, Although, now part of the thing is it's as much about the reputation you acquired yeah, when you were younger as it is about your current inability to control all your power. All right. So Tamar's going to get a book out. Yeah, so I think um, the night passes uneventfully. The storm yeah. eventually... Actually, the storm blows itself out relatively quickly after that. Yeah. That's probably not particularly unusual, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but this was... This is... That was definitely... This has been a particularly intense storm. Yeah, you sort of... You tend, you tend to watch them from time to time. Yeah. For, for one thing, it's not the first time you've had a bad dream on a storm night. Yeah. So you tend to be up, but there's some interest to, I think there's some fascination to you in watching that power. They can do whatever they like and they don't get in trouble for it. And, um, yeah, the, the, um, and they do seem to blow themselves out kind of after you're relaxed and not dreaming anymore. Yeah. But that's probably just, you know, they have to go, come and go sooner or later. So it probably doesn't have anything to do with anything in particular. Yeah, so he's a bit more troubled than usual by this one because he's kept a lot more of it. Yeah. And it is basically just trying to read something idly and and keeps throwing his mind back to it and getting nowhere. You know that the, some of the images you've seen, you've seen before. The plane in particular is something you've dreamed of yeah. your, whole, your whole life. Lightning and the end of all things. Yeah. But the, there are definitely images in there that are new to you. You didn't recognize you, yeah. this is the first time for them. And you suspect that some of them you may have dreamed and not retained before. In fact, what I will probably do is sit down and read a novel for sort of 20 minutes and wait to see if um, things get better or worse. When nothing more of it comes back. 
I'll sort of sigh, pull out a journal, and literally start writing down those images with the little side notes of dash, you know, Catrice question mark, sanctuary question mark. Excellent. So, yes, the the storm blows itself out, and um, eventually morning doors brighten crisp and very, very early. I don't know if at this point Tomar does go back to sleep or if he just stays up. Oh, depending on when I've woken up in the morning. Like, if it's 5 o'clock in the morning, I'll stay up. If it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I'll read for an hour and then go back to sleep. Yeah, so I think, um, sort of, um, it would be about, um, 1 or 2 in the morning. So I imagine sort of as sort of... off at that point. Yeah, at sort of 3 or 4 in the morning, you've managed to get back to sleep. And now the sun is, um, gleaming through the window and waking you up. What must feel like a fairly preposterously early hour. Grunt, roll over, get up, get dressed, etc., etc. So, when you, um, would your house have an upstairs and a downstairs? I think it probably would. I would think Tomar upstairs. Yeah. So, as you come downstairs, you can, um, smell that your mum is, um, Someone is cooking um, something which smells pretty good. Yeah. Smells like it might be pancakes of some kind. Mm. And um, as you come out into the kitchen, um, she turns around and smiles at you and then um, sighs slightly as she sees sort of big dark bags on your eyes. The dreams again, love? Morning, Ma. Yeah, the, the dreams again. Ah. <sighs> Well, come and sit down and have a good breakfast. Appreciate And um, she will dish you up some pancakes. So, and the camera pans over at Lena Hearthfire. Lena Hearthfire is gorgeous. Um, she is incredibly beautiful by dwarven standards to the point that she's noteworthily beautiful by human standards. Yeah. She catches the eye in a room and... There aren't a ton of dwarves in town, but passing dwarven travellers or wanderers who've come through here are pretty much always struck by her. Yeah. She is has beautiful golden hair, blue eyes, she's curvy, she's gorgeous. Uh, obviously, you're not attracted yeah, to her. Tamara ignores this, my mum is not hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's something, it's the, the, it's the thing that people catches the eye yes. first. She's kind, loving, and caring, and just generally a pretty great person. Yeah. She's um, very popular within the village, which has been a considerable asset yeah. to you over your life yeah. because nobody wants to see Alina go. And she is like you. She has um, magical gifts that she doesn't entirely control, but hers are of divine origin. The theory is that she's one of the chosen of Shailen. She has the um, she has natural healing. Yeah the capacity to heal with a touch to an extent. She's never had any clerical training. There aren't any... There aren't a lot of devotees of Shailen in the town. Yeah. But um, it certainly seems like she has that potential. Um, she's a um, weaver and a seamstress in a small way. It's her... Um, her occupation is that she makes clothes and repairs other people's clothes. And she gives away her healing power for free to people who need it. But she doesn't... She tends not to give it all away. She tends to reserve some in case of trouble. Yeah. And um, 
certainly one of the things she reserves it for is if Tamar is ever hurt and injured, which has been known to happen from time to time. <laughs> um, so that's her, and she dishes you up a big plate of, um, I think dwarven pancakes would be pretty, um, big, fat, wholemeal sort of yeah, uh, things. I've, I've seen, like, those those big ones that are, like, four or five centimetres thick. Yeah, that, that'd that be about it. It's, it's partly like eating a cake as yeah, well. Yeah, and they have, um, I think probably some kind of um, honey to go on them. Yep. Would see honey and berries to go on them, because maple syrup would be something that's relatively hard to come by. And Tamar just kind of routinely gets out a little side plate, puts it there, cuts off you know, uh, maybe an eighth of a pancake and puts it there and Gail hops off her shoulder. Pancakes. <laughs> Takes a good while for a crow to eat an eighth of a dwarven pancake. But there's, in the background of this, there's a the little meticulous... <laughs> and she pecks away at the plate. And um, a small whirlwind rushes into the room. Um, revealing itself to be a um, very small gnome riding a wolf. And um, Pella rushes into the room, jumps off wolf, looks around and smiles at you both. Ooh, pancakes! I thought they might be pancakes, and I thought, you know, not that I don't love rabbit stew, but I thought I could come over here and have pancakes. Can I have some pancakes? And um, Alina will sort of um, bend over and ruffle her um, hair. Yeah, of course, love, and dishes her out a big plate of pancakes, and Pella will s- sit down right next to you, um, punch you sort of on, uh, punch you on the arm a little bit, and start tucking into the pancakes. I'll yeah, ruffle it here. It's like this. Well, you're almost too late this morning, sis. Mm-hmm. I nearly got it all the way into my mouth. Well, I won't eat yours. I'll eat mine, uh, unless you know there's something you don't want, and then maybe. Here, Gail, have some pancake. <laughs> have some more pancake. I love you. I love you. <laughs> you can be bored. I have no shame about it. <laughs> and um, Pella will put some pancake on the floor, unhoneyed for Wolf, who um, eats it appreciatively and then noses around the floor, seeing if Tamara has dropped anything or might be inclined to drop something. This Wolf's name, in fact, actually Wolf. Yes, Wolf's name is Wolf. Fair enough. <laughs> Tamara so, has no stones to throw. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, from what you can gather, um, your mother basically named Pella, and um, Silvermane named Wolf, and yeah. he's he's not a he's not a super communicative man. So we have the camera sees Pella Wolf Rider, who is let's find her actual parent sheet. Here we go, a a relatively small gnome, but um, not as small as Jack. She is also a little bit older, but she's not quite grown yet. She's 39. Yep. Um, Elena's already starting to talk about what the what you'll do for her big 40th birthday when she's a full adult, as gnomes reckon these things. Yep. She's um, got um, dark green hair and brown eyes and is relatively good at... She sort of tends to... She wears quite um, green and brown sort of clothes with some little purple. She re- wears clothes that let her bleeding quite easily into the forest. She's a um, scout and a um, and also does some cooking. She's um, learned a lot from her mother because she's very, very keen on food. So what does that make her rel- um, relative to human years? 
Um, she's um, basically one year off her twenty first birthday. Yeah, that's about right. So she she she's she's twenty, the equivalent of twenty. To Mars, about the equivalent of sort of twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, so he's a couple of years older than her. Yeah, just enough to be obnoxious about it. Yeah, <laughs> well, the um, in terms, yeah, because um, in terms of um, human years, yes. you, you were um relatively old when she was born yeah. and when she was found. So um basically um from what you from what you know, Silvermane is of course the silent elf who keeps watch over the Hope Spring. Yeah. And um one day he turned up in town and he had a small mom girl and a babe and a wolf cub with him. And um most people don't know how to talk to Silvermane. So you don't know what the deal is there. Yeah. Um, Silvermane's never told people that you know or um, really explained himself in any way. Um, but he basically began raising the child, and um, she kind of roamed around the village, and people um, watched out for her or didn't. And um, Silvermane has taught her quite a lot of things. You know because she's a druid, that she's learned that from Silvermane. But as she got older, it became clear that she could use love and mothering and pancakes and someone who actually spoke, you know, languages other than whatever it is that Silvermane may or may not speak. And um, your mother... Yes. Your mother came to fill that void for Pella, and she began spending a moderate amount of time in your house. And your your mother kind of semi-adopted her. Yeah. But she still spends quite a lot of time with Silvermane, and she divides her time between here and there. So you won't see. She, she stays over at your house sometimes. She turns up for meals, not infrequently, particularly when she suspects that Elena might be cooking something good. Um, and your mom has, your mother has taught her a lot of different things that a young girl needs to know, including actually teaching her to speak gnomish, which Elena has taught herself so that she would be able to teach Pella. And Tamar more or less just treats her, treats her like a younger sister. Yeah. I forget one that lives out of the house. Yeah. And she. Because Tamar himself is probably a little too old to be living at home, but it, it can be hard to find a place. Yes. Yeah, so for some reason, yeah. when you have looked into Landlords it. Landlords don't like me. Yeah, the, 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 all the places had just been filled up. They're terribly sorry. Every time. Yeah. So, um. Look, I can see your tenant moving out right now. <laughs> How can you have already filled the vacancy? It just it just happens that way sometimes, sir. Yeah. Yes, the um the Ramble House, the inn in town, the primary inn in town, literally has beds that are open to travellers, um and people in town can just pay money and rent a bed and there yeah. anytime they like. And yet... Unless they're full. Unless they're full, as they are mysteriously every time Tomar walks in, they've just filled up, no okay. vacancies. Um, so, yes, Pella will start eating pancakes, and after she has tucked into them sufficiently, she will... Um, it's a big day today. Did you remember? Uh, uh, of course. Ruby's Hope Knife Ceremony. She's going to be 12. Can you believe it? Uh, seems like only the other day she was a wee scrap of a thing. She's human, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. Uh, they grow up so fast. A twinkle of an eye. I know. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I was still... I was, I, was only just, I was only just on the wall when she, when she came in at that, when she was born. Yeah, that... 
she was yeah she, she was the last one Helga had right when she came back. Aye. Just the little the little baby scrap of a thing. Well, she's all big and growing up in twelve, and she's going to have a hope knife ceremony today at sunset. You'll be there, right? I know you don't like crowds, but it's Ruby. Of course, I'll be there. Hope knife ceremony is important. We all need to remember. We all need to remember the vow. And what happens if the orcs get in? It's a part of being. Well, it's a part of life, isn't it? Right. And she will clap you affectionately on the arm. So how did old Silvermane make it through the storm? I bet he had a lot to say about it. We're fine. It's... You know, we've got a tent up there, and actually it's it's not so bad. I mean, it's just a storm. I don't really understand why people get so upset about them. I mean, they're always going on like, you know, like the storm's doing it to be to get at them. It's It's just... It's just the way nature is. It's exciting. You know you're always welcome to a roof over your head when the lightning and the rain's coming down, right, Ma? Of course. Pellet, you know I've asked you to come inside in, you know, somewhere dry and warm and safe when when storms come. You two are such fusspots. I'm fine, see? Lightning isn't going to strike me. If I want lightning to strike something, I will just point and zap. You know that Pellet has not yep. developed anything like the capacity yep. of a druid that can make lightning strike. <laughs> Tomorrow will lean down off the table and scratch the wolf across the back of the head a few times. Wolf um, looks up at you, wags his tail very slightly, and then flops his head down. So when are you going to be able to talk some sense into it, boy? Wolf has plenty of sense. But he's not afraid of storms either, because we are wild, adventuring people. I'm not saying there isn't anything there isn't anything great about civilization, because these pancakes are pretty excellent. But you should come and stay with us sometime, time, and then you'd see that the tent is perfectly safe and there's nothing to worry about. And tomorrow we'll look at her and theatrically sort of pat himself down. Well, what's this? I seem to be dry. And safe inside my solid wooden house. Pella, Pella will kind of uh, roll her eyes at you. Can't put a lightning rod up on a tent. Well, yeah, I guess there is that. Anyway, I Ruby's hope knife ceremony. I'll be there again. There's that slight mutter under his breath, and Borha not like of anything better to be doing. I presume I'm between jobs at this point. Again. Yeah, and that's pretty much what I was going to ask you because Pella's going to catch breakfast and then help your mum clean up and potentially roam around the house a bit, seeing if there's stuff she can fix. Yeah, um, and then she's going to head on out. She's um, uh, one of the scouts in the Trunau militia, yep. so she routinely goes out and scouts for things and causes trouble and um, watches out for trouble and stuff. And um, I would say that, yeah, Tamara is currently between jobs. Yep. Um, you had per- The last time you had permanent work was more than a year ago when you were working at Clamour, but I would imagine you've had some temporary stuff between, yeah, between there, but that you currently, I think, probably don't have anything. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm a little bit old to just be bumming around at home all day. Um, not so much playing video games, but, you know, sitting up in my mm-hmm. room. So, um, 
he will he will generally make a conspicuous effort to kind of leave the house and yeah. go out, but he's got nowhere to go, so he just kind of wanders around the town. The town is big enough that you can pretty much, you know, roam around and it's not particularly conspicuous. Yeah. Um, you've gotten pretty good at, you know, if you go to the particularly populated areas, then you get tend to attract quite a lot of muttering and um, people making gestures in your general direction, uh, making hex signs in your general direction and stuff. But there's a lot of places in town where not too many people go, and at this point you're pretty familiar with all of them. And there's, there's basically nothing um, over much exciting outside of Trunel's walls, is it? Um, so basically, like, there are farms and things outside of Trunel's walls, and there is an open marketplace where people can... A lot of the trading in Trunel actually happens at the Barterstones. Yeah. So you can roam down there. And, it's probably a favourite point then. Yeah. And there's, you know, beyond that, there's the Plague House and um, general farms, only in the very neighbouring areas where people can get inside if there's trouble. Yeah. But, um, you know, Trunau does need to eat. And yeah. So the, basically the, the law is that um, anybody who lives outside the walls has to pay a regular fee to have a place to sleep if they have to stay inside the walls. But one of the things that scouts do is try and make certain that they can get warning to the people in, in the event that there is, say, a massive orc attack. I imagine Elena is um, not exactly particularly wealthy. No. The, um... I also... She has enough... She gets by. Com- comfortably lower class to middle class. Yeah, comfortably lower class. I think probably, um... She would give you more money to make it easier for you to get by, but I would imagine that that's not something that yeah, Tamar is comfortable he'll, with. They'll take it periodically and reluctantly, and mostly in the ilk of I'll go out and you know go to the market and get us this for dinner. You know, yeah. while I'm there, I'll get myself some stuff. Yeah, and I think um, you you help out around the house and make a contribution. And Alina has said several times, and has really stopped saying at this point that you make enough of a competition, uh, you make enough of a contribution, and she's perfectly happy to have you there. I'm uh... But um, I think you feel that you could do more. Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, the, so you've done, you've gone out of your way to avoid relying on her and being able and be able to support yourself. But there have been times when things have been extremely tight. Yeah. Yes, I, I imagine I'm kind of the equivalent, the, the modern-day equivalent of sort of an unemployed university student. You know, I've still got stuff to do in theory, but um, also I'm just hanging around home a bit too much, but it's all good. And it's also, you know, you've had periods in your life where you've had more regular employment, yeah. because I think you've had a number of jobs, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. In addition to the militia and working at the Yes, I've done the militia, I've done the smithy, I've done bits in the um, alchemy store, um... Probably um, one of them would be like seasonal farm labour, doing the harvests and that sort of thing. Yeah, they're actually pretty glad to have you. The thing is, the number of people that... Um, the farms are pretty quiet and pretty safe. You haven't had a lot of accidents out there. People And the thing is, the number of people who are prepared to work outside Trunel's walls as, an, as a low-paid farmhand, yeah. there's not so much... Um, there's not so many people prepared to do that that um, they can afford to um, get all finicky about the people who do. And oddly, my life's dream is not to be a farmhand, so... Yeah, well, also, I mean, it's it's not only poorly paid, it's also um, very, very seasonal. You yeah. work incredibly hard 
and then it's over and there's no more work than what their regular hands can than the yeah. regular farmers can handle. Yeah. yeah, but he's not exactly bending over backwards to try and um, get himself a regular job as a farm as a um, regular farmer. No. And you also probably darkly suspect that um, you, the seasonal work might dry up if you spend too much time with them. Because that tends to be the pattern, is you spend, it, it all goes well at first, and then something goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong, and it's around the time the third thing goes wrong that people start to say, well, I'm sorry, yeah. but... Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you mooch around. Diddly diddly. The day passes, um, pretty, pretty uneventfully. This is a pretty normal day. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, at sunset, you make your way down to, find the name of it, the Commons, I believe is what it's called. Uh, yep, the Commons, which is an amphitheatre with a stone floor and a base stage at one end. Um, you're very familiar with this. Yeah. This is where the militia are trained, so you've spent it. In addition to having been out here for numerous public ceremonies, you've actually spent a bunch of time training here. And, um, this point, I'm going to open the actual campaign book. <laughs> uh, I presume with Trudel being so relatively martial, um, there's pretty much no obstacle for walking around with a bunch of weapons strapped on your shoulder? Definitely not. Yeah. The t- like... It's actually encouraged. The, it's actually kind of the alternate. It's actually kind of the opposite that people look at as guns. People expect you know not everyone publicly displays their hope knife, but all yeah. the residents of town have one, and um, well, pretty much all. And um, in addition to a knife that you're supposed to carry, and many people, particularly um, people who've just gotten theirs, display openly. The understanding is that you'll be wearing weapons. Um, Elena doesn't have any. She doesn't know how to use anything. And um, people accept that because she's yeah. a valuable member of society, but it, it, it's definitely the sort of thing that people who aren't as popular as her get looked at funny. There's kind of this, why are you here? Yeah, we have Did, had repeated conversations about it. Yeah. You know, there are light weapons that would be suitable. You know, if you find you something, they'll give a nice, solid, light, woven pack. She, she's, she's tried. She's terrible. Just needs practice. (laughs) Practice makes perfect. So, um, Tamar kind of bristles, then. Yeah. Because... uh, So, so we see Tamar walking around town. What's he wearing? Um, so my standard clothes are sort of, um, vaguely sort of traveler's gear. Solid, solid tunic, jerkin, pants, solid boots, um, cloak and rain hood that he'll periodically pull up over his head or not, depending on where in town he is. Um, and then the string of sheaths and straps and things around. No armour, but I have sort of dwarven war axe down hanging by the leg sheath, um, metal bow over the back, um, morning star off the other sheath, um, a net strapped around the back of my belt. <laughs> And then a pole arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Um, very few people wearing that many weapons yeah. when they walk around town. Yeah. But no, but it's not something that people find, um, that people have a problem with about Tamar. Yeah. It's, um... No, I, I like to be prepared. <laughs> yeah. 
no one no one takes that no one finds that as yards you anybody would get in big trouble if they fought anyone with those weapons yeah, yeah. and you would get in huge trouble in particular but um on the other hand how you're not a very popular part of the town but you are a part of the town and the general feeling is everyone should have something oh and then of course the classic silver chain around yeah. the neck with the little um, the little hope knife. knife dangling off it yeah So um, when you get down to the um, to the commons, there are a lot of people gathered there. All the you know quite a few of them, or at least have seen in part, and you've seen in passing. There wouldn't be too many faces you don't have some yeah. idea who they are. Um, Chief Defender Halder is standing up on the stage. She's um, pretty fierce looking. It has to be said with her blackened swords and. Um, general air of um, strength and purpose. Um, she her, her glance sort of sweeps over the crowd, and as she sees you, she gives you a small nod. Likewise. So Halgor doesn't know, and you don't know each other super well, but I think um, you tend to have an ear to the ground of what's happening in town. Yeah. You happen to know that there have been a few petitions, particularly now that you're a grown man who could fend for himself, to have you politely escorted outside of town, mm. and every single one of them has been turned down flat by Halgra and never even made it to the de- to the defenders, mm. um, and not super tactfully either. Hell no is the sort of phrase that has come up. You, she doesn't seem to have much of a problem with you being here, and she doesn't. She's not big on people who say that you shouldn't be here. Yeah. In theory, everyone who can hold a blade is welcome in Trenau. Yeah. In your you, in your experience, some people are more welcome than others. Yes. <laughs> um, and she's quite big, and next to her, Ruby looks real small. Ruby is just kind of sweet. She's yep. um got red hair that she's done up in little pigtails, and um. She's she's got freckles and she's kind of bouncing around the stage. She, this is a pretty big deal. She's yeah. she's pretty excited. So as you're kind of standing in the crowd, um, you um, Pella has pointedly come and is standing next to you, um, and um, you've got a little bit of your, you've got your own little private space in the crowd because people have kind of edged away from you and there've been some mutters. You've definitely heard. Stories. Storm crow, storm crow, as you've come, as you've um, yeah, yeah. Um, come up to stand there. Roll, um, roll my eyes and pretend I can't hear it. Yeah, and um, but you can hear the conversations going on around you, and you can pick up a rumor. Ooh! So have a look at that rumor list. I get rheumatism. So um, this is um, kind of a streetwise role, but yeah. it, I suspect you don't have any streetwise, and I'll take it sort of general wis- wisdom style check for how interesting a rumor you get. Uh, so if a streetwise, that's three. 
if you're doing the um, same thing I do with Wisdom. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing four, no, it's 14. Cool. Right, whopping two on the dice. Alright. So, what you hear is a rumour that um, Roger Graf is probably going to potentially take over as um, patrol leader after um, Jagrin retires. They think Jagrin's been a good leader, but he's getting old. It's time for some new blood. It's not particularly startling information. You weren't standing in the right place in the crowd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, um, I, I have deliberately not put any, not put points in Streetwise because I largely imagine that people don't want to talk to Tomar yeah. in, um, in Trunal. Yeah, that's not going to be... Broadly yeah. speaking, the crowd is not invested in me. And it's sort of... It's kind of important in the short term. It's not a skill that's going to get a ton of play in the larger campaign. Yeah. That's all good. Cool. Alright, so, um... Halgra stands up on stage, and, um... She draws her blades and shouts, Trunal forever! And the crowd cheer. She's the swords. Thank you all for joining us this night. I take immense pride in my responsibility as Chief Defender, especially when it comes to the honour of the Hope Knight Ceremony. It is always a great privilege to bequeath Trunau use their Hope Knives as they come of age. And she draws a, da- a beautifully decorated dagger hanging from a silver chain. But tonight is very special to me, for tonight I give a Hope Knife to my youngest daughter, Ruby. Ruby, by the traditions of our town, you have come of age. This hope knife represents your responsibility as an adult and a defender of true now. You must be willing to use it on yourself, your fellow citizens, and your family, even me, should it come to that. It will be a far quicker death than that which the orcs might offer, and providing it is your duty. Do you swear to guard Trunal from all comers and to use your hope knife only for its intended purpose? And Ruby is, she's excited, but she's also like everyone in the crowd is looking right at her. (laughs) And then, um, Halgra is going to open the knife and spend some time showing Ruby how she could use it to kill someone. Yeah. Um, she goes through... Open, open your wrists, slash your throat. throat. She, she specifically points out the arteries to cut. Yeah. And um, then when she's finished make, doing that demonstration, she shuts the hope knife and hangs it around Ruby's neck. Oh, God, that's really awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, because it's, it's going to be like, you know, don't... Don't cut in the X, cut in the T. Yeah. That will open more of the veins. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to go into detail about what... Among other things I don't know, but I also don't want to go into detail there, yeah. so... Tonight, Ruby becomes a full member of our community. Let us welcome her and celebrate her passage into our adulthood. For now, forever. And, um, everyone cheers. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, at this point, um, Halgra looks around and, um, 
Roderick and Cursed Graf's shoulder up on stage. So, um, I think, uh, um, you of course know Roderick and yeah. Cursed. Um, they are the sons of Dragger and Graf, patrol captains in Trunau, and extremely popular within the town. Yeah. They're pretty well known and pretty well liked, and you have spent some time, um, fighting with them both and just kind of hanging out with them both. Yeah, a couple of soldiers. Yeah. You, I think, probably haven't seen a lot of them since you left the militia. No. I would imagine that you've probably kind of been staying away. It's like in passing, because yeah. there's not enough people in town to not meet people in passing, but I cert- certainly Tamar would have made an active effort to not go hang out anywhere around the militia, because mm-hmm. it's just too much of a... It's, it's kind of the standing there and looking at the thing you can't have and going... <sighs> so I'm going to go into a little bit more about what you know about the graph. Yes, so Jagger and Graf is um, an incredibly a grizzled, incredibly tough veteran yeah. who's um, widely reputed to not have smiled in the last 12 years. Um, he's not a happy, cheerful, Ill, Ill chirpy kind of guy. He's a big, fierce, tough uh, soldier. And since his wife was taken by orcs, He's not been a barrel of laughs, precisely. Yeah. He doesn't take um, he doesn't take any shit from anybody. He's pretty tough. He's pretty fierce, and he's not a fun guy to be around. Um, there are some very quiet jokes that he must be a bit baffled about what to make about his sons. Um, Roderick and Kirst are very well liked and very talented militia captains. But they're also quite artistic, and there's certainly been some jokes that Jagger and that's yeah. not really yeah. where, where Jagran's coming from. Yeah, yeah. The travel uh, jokes about the traveling peddler that met his wife one night. Yeah, thing. yeah, that that sort of thing. Yeah. <coughs> um, so, um, Roderick, you would uh, know as an accomplished poet and playwright. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that that's some, you know, like new books, uh, books that that's something that you would probably actually be relatively interested in. Yeah. Kirst is a musician and very much the quieter of the two. Roderick has the big name in the family. Kirst tends to hang back in the shadows a bit more. Yeah. But um, I would imagine you've <coughs> like, probably actually been to one or two of their plays and seen some of the stuff yeah, that yeah. they've done. Absolutely. So that's the that's the context that you have for these guys. Cool guys. So um, they come up on the stage and they're holding a really long rope and. Um, uh, Roderick will smile at everyone and um, then he will sort of um, actually kind of kneel down next to Ruby and say to her, you know, as a new citizen of True Now, it's time for you to show everyone how strong you are. It's time for you to see if you can beat me and my brother in a tug of war. But it doesn't seem quite fair for you to do it all alone. Ruby, this is an important decision. Who do you want to back you up? And Ruby's going to look around and her eyes are going to scan the crowd. Scan the crowd again. She's looking for... She's She needs some strong people. She needs some tough people. She needs some people she knows she can count on. And her eyes go to that little corner with the, with the very big... With the little, little invisible bubble yeah, around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he'll, a, mo- a few moments too late, sort of pull the hood of his cloak over his head again. Oh, God. Toma and Pella says Ruby. And there's some mutters, but they're real quiet and they die away entirely when Helga's grave gaze intersects like a meat axe in the direction of anyone who might be thinking of disapproving of this choice. Yeah. She's like, 
Tamar, Pella, will you come up on the stage and back up my daughter? I. Trunau, all, all the citizens of Trunau stand together. <laughs> he says and comes up on the stage and will also stare out at the crowd. Yeah. People generally are, are failing to make eye contact with yeah, you at yeah. this time. Um, and um, Pella will grin and... Um, Run right up to Ruby and sit, and um, say, "We'll still help too." <laughs> All right, and you are going to have a tug of war. Maybe next time, pick pick a race that doesn't have racial strength penalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peller is um is not Peller is quite strong for a tiny gnome. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now what I need is a battle map, um, some PCs, and some string. Cool. This is a um a classic strength check, not the um not a house rule strength check. What yep. what because it's a it's a challenge thing. Yeah. So what we're doing is adding up everyone's combined strength modifiers yep. and then rolling to see who's um how each team's doing. Sure, sure. So um go to the contest. Yep. With push and pull. Um, so what is Tomar bringing to the table? 12 strength. Cool. Alright. Which is a plus one modifier if that's what you're calculating off. Yep, that's what, indeed what I'm calculating off. Alright. Cool. Alright. Okay, so everybody grabs hold of the rope. Rupi grabs it with both tiny little arms yep. and hangs on grimly. Tomar holds the rope. Plants his dwarven feet. Yeah, that looks like a bulwark. You're definitely getting the sense that you're an important part of this particular team. Pella um, grips her tiny little arm, wraps her tiny little arms around the rope and clings on, and Wolf takes the, it in his teeth and yanks. And on the other side, your two um, burly, full-grown human opponents grab the rope and yank hard. Give me a d20 roll. Aye, but as a dwarf, I'm sturdy. Yes, I have yes. My dwarven You're sturdy, sturdy and difficult to tow. Okay. I mean, unless they pull the beard, I have a seven on my roll. Okay, alright. So they did a little better than that. Uh, yep. So the rope they pull you Let's see how we're gonna do this. So uh what I need is a middle line. If you're looking for a way to illustrate it, what you probably want is a line in the middle. Cool. So they pull you ten feet this way. Then you try again. Come on, lass, you can do it. Remember, plant your feet. Heave. Heave. 
Oh, that's, that's, a, six, that's a 16 on the dice. Oh, that's a nice result. Yep, and actually this time, like, you you weren't taken, you know, the they had a good solid pull, and you weren't quite as firmly planted as you could have been, but now you really dig in, yep. and they just can't tow you. You're, you're too heavy and too planted, and your team very slowly but firmly hauls it back, and you regain all the ground you lost. Yep. comes back to the center line. And another roll. Fifteen. Yep, so they beat you, but only a little. Yep. Five feet. Forwards. And one more. Sixteen again. Yep, and um, this round is kind of... Um, feels like it's going to be a tie... You're pretty evenly matched, and then Roderick's foot slips a little, and um, you make up five feet of ground and pull them both towards the center line. Give us another one. Seventeen. Oh, very nice. And you get a good solid haul and pull them over the line. You think one more good heave. Yep. And you'll have this in the back. Ooh, that wasn't a good number. Come on, Ruby. You can do it. Ruby. Three. Ooh. Ruby, you're in charge. Let <laughs> one down, Ruby. <laughs> now true and I'll die. All your fault. <laughs> Alright, so this round is kind of just... It's not very good for anyone. It's yep. an in, it's indeterminate and the rope goes nowhere. Yeah, well, are we on um, ground? Are we on earth here? Um, you're on the stage, so you've yep. not got... There's not much gripping to be done. It's yep. mostly about main strength. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking if it's been a storm last night... Then yeah, 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 yeah. The stage might be a little wet. One. And again, another indeterminate round. Five. All right, and you feel like Roderick's got a pretty good group on the rope here, but at this point, Cursed slips slightly and cannons into him, and um, you guys get a good solid grip and successfully win the tug of war. You feel a little bit like that might have been yeah, given he to you. Dive, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Dive like a Brazilian football player. <laughs> yes, dive like a Brazilian football player. On the other hand, that's presumably sort of As a guy who's been to a good few of the ceremonies, Tomar knows that, you know, this is Ruby's first test as an adult. You know, she's going to achieve success. Yeah, so they, they always win? They win, yeah. yeah. But um, they have to, they generally have to fight for it. Yeah. And in this particular case, your, your, um, your team was just not quite getting it together. But nonetheless, Ruby is very satisfied. Yep. She's um, excited to see as these two can turn to each other a bit, and you guys, you yep. guys do really have to fight for it. Even if they do seem to be slightly less steady on their feet than you might expect, you have to haul the rope down. Yeah, and Tamar will absolutely 
make a big deal out of this once, yeah. once the belt yeah, is yeah. gone. We'll be yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And there's the, uh, uh, Helga and all. Uh, Ruby is the victor. And Tamar will give her a big, like, solid, manly, staggering clap on the back. Yeah, Ruby <laughs> staggers for it. She's well, good for you, lass. Oh, I never, I never would have been able to do that on my own. That's two, that's two trained soldiers there. Mark my words, one of the two of them will be the next patrol leader. And you just pulled them both down. Oh, Drunel's lucky to have you, lass. And, um, Ch- Ruby will, um, beam, bounce, and fling her arms around you and give you a little kiss on the cheek. Trunel's lucky to have you, too. Thanks, Tomar. Always, lass. And then, um, she looks a bit shy and um, sort of waves to everyone and then goes and hides behind Helga at this yeah. point. All right. Ruby is an official adult of the town of Trunau, and I declare it is time for a celebration. Let's eat! Aye. And everyone sort of heads in the general direction of what you can see as a bit of a feast that's piled up. And um, Roderick appears to have fallen rather heavily there, and... Um, he picks he picks himself up and um, comes limping slightly and possibly slightly theatrically yeah. over oh, to you. Oh no, the twelve-year-old is so strong. <laughs> and um, holds out an arm. Very impressive. And you, Roderick. Stage must have been a little wet under you, maybe. Well, it rained heavily last night. Aye, that it did. <laughs> And, um, he will glance around and curse to has come up to him. Uh, Tomar, Pella, could we buy you a drink, maybe? It feels like an age since, we, uh, since I've spoken to you last. Right, certainly no reason why not. Lead on. Alright, and um, sort of basically at this point you guys can make your way down to, like, the buffet. Yeah. Load yourselves up with plates and go off and find sort of a quiet table. Yeah. There's, um, you know, sort of a bunch of general tables where there's riotous merriment and then sort of quieter tables off to the sides where you can sort of actually have a bit of a com- bit more of a conversation and a bit less of, um, well, it's not so much staggering drunk at this stage because this is a family party, but people are definitely, there's certainly some people in there who are clearly heading that way when they've had enough of a chance to get enough ale in them. Um, you know, because of the way Trunel works, that these will be people who are definitely not in duty on the militia yeah. in the next eight hours, because the town is actually pretty emphatic yeah, on, the, yeah, on that point. Yeah, people were headed for the stockade in the yeah. next eight hours. Yeah. And, um, so, yes, you, f- you find a quiet table, and um, I will, at this point, show you a picture of Roderick. Hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, you know, he's handsome, yeah, he's sure. popular. If you're into humans. Yeah. And, you know, males. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we'll sit down at the table. Start, to, people start tucking into their food. Pella is particularly enthusiastic on this point. And, um, she, you know, she's put a plate for Wolf down and you can yep. easily have, um, some little, um, you know, there's, there's some meat here, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of meat here, there's some stuff that Gail will definitely find palatable. Yeah, I, I, um, part of Tamar's fitting in is he feeds Gail fairly, fairly publicly at home. He doesn't do it when we're out and about. That the makes bird, sense. The bird just kind of sits on my shoulder or indeed if she gets sufficiently pissed off, takes off and goes yep. flying. Alright, well, um, Gail's definitely eyeing the, um, eyeing. No. <laughs> no. 
So, uh, how have things been? I it, uh, hey, sort of trails off and shrugs slightly. It is what it is. Uh, harvest season's come and gone again. Works uh, a little thin on the ground this time of year. I, I hear good things about you anyway, if we're on the streets to be believed. And um, Roderick will groan slightly and um, say, what did you think of my latest poem? Um, so um, I think um, I'm going to take um, some kind of a wisdom check here yeah. to perceive the um, what do you think. Uh, that's an 18. Yeah, I think that would, um, yeah, that will get you, um, this is a pretty, this is pretty well known in the town. I don't know if you were, Roderick's latest poem was called The Other Side of Contempt. It's, um, really, really tanked. It's, um, been a tremendous flop as far as sales are concerned. Yeah. Um, it's about a, um, uh, young half-orc whose um, orc mother was killed when human raiders overtook his settlement. It's um, not something that anyone in town particularly wanted to read, and Roderick Starr had definitely slid a little bit when he published it. Yeah. I thought there was talent in it, but I think you're pitching to the wrong crowd here. (laughs) That would certainly appear to be the case, yes. I mean, and um, cursed sighs loudly and slightly theatrically at his side. I mean, you probably find more of a receptive audience for that sort of thing in the holds of Belkson if you can get the animals to sit still long enough to listen. No offence, Wolf. <laughs> uh, yes, that seems to be the prevailing view. And, um... Cursed mutters something into his ale, which sounds very much like told you. <laughs> I, I mean, suppose as, as an artist, says Tamar, with the air of someone who is not remotely an artist, you have to experiment with new things, but sometimes you just find out some things are a bad idea. <laughs> uh, Tamar's got very little sympathy for this. The the orcs are basically monsters to him. Yeah, and... Um, I think, um, give me a sense motive check. Uh, that will um, do comfortably. Uh, 28. Oh, nice. All right, I'll give you... Um, so what you can read, um, Roderick respects you for speaking your mind, but that's not the reaction he was hoping for. Yeah. He, he's definitely still... Um, this meant a lot to him, and um, he's pretty gutted about how people are taking it. Um, Kirst has an expression... Exp- uh, which um, he's endeavouring to repress as far as he can, um, but um, you're pretty—you're not bad on social nuance, and you're picking up. Kirst's with you, one hundred percent. Go, Tomar. Tomar's Tomar's the man. Tomar's saying it, telling it like it is. Like I like I say, like I say, Roderick. There was talent. There's talent in the meter, in the in the, in the meter, in the style. It's just uh, the content. <laughs> yeah. Well, I couldn't square it with myself not to write what I felt, but I understand where you're coming from. You have always spoke your mind. I respect that about you. It's better, it's better if people are going to um, have a negative opinion that they say it to your face. 
Well, that's certainly one way of looking at it. <laughs> I suppose after a long enough time of hearing negative opinions to your face, you'll probably end up getting a bit sick of it. And, um, Roderick looks... Twitch. Yeah, Roderick looks down. Sorry, wasn't thinking. No problem. What about you, Pella? What have you been up to lately? And, um, Pella will, um, tell a fairly amusing story about, um, recent events in the, um, True Now Scouts involving, um, finding a um, very small group of uh, orcs yeah. and um, scaring them off with some kind of, like, um, wolf howls and um, various um, practical various practical jokes um, and, and, and intimidating this. They basically, fo- several of the scouts followed these um, orcs and intimidated so much they decided that this particular patch of woods was haunted and lit out with no gear to speak of. And um, nice. with, I'm going to give you a bit more from that 28 because that was such a great role. You can see Kirst smiling. He's He was probably involved in that. You know, he's a scout yeah. as well. Roderick's much more the straight battle kind of guy, but um, Kirst, like Peller, is quiet and sneaky. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tamar will eventually lead round to the question that you know, he really wants to ask, but also... Yeah, there, 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 there's, a, there's been a very, um... There, there's been enough social chit-chat that yeah. it's not super awkward like it would have been if you brought it up first. Yeah, or he says to him, so how's, how's things on the wall? And we'll start just talking to him about what's happening in yeah. the militia. Talking shop with him, basically, but yeah. as a guy that no longer works there. So, um, Kirst will tell you that it's been relatively quiet. The, the orcs haven't made any particular attacks... But he doesn't trust it. He feels... Sorry, I, I meant to say Roderick there. Yep. Roderick, he doesn't trust it. He feels like there's something wrong. And then he will um, trail off a little bit and then say, I think there's something going on in the town as well, but it's too soon to too soon to speak on that. Well, Orc's been quiet. It's usually not their natural inclination and not usually a great sign. No. In town? I I shouldn't speak of what I've no evidence of. Pay me no mind. Right. Tomorrow I'll sort of look interested, but try and let it go. Yeah. And um, the conversation kind of um, goes on a bit. I think um, Roderick will um, ask you some questions about what you've been reading lately. Yeah. And, um, you know, the conversation kind of heads in a very vaguely bookish direction for a while. Because... Yeah. Um, the three of you are some of, and probably some of Trenau's more voracious readers, yeah. and it's not something that gets, it's, it's not something you have a lot of company in. And, um, we'll talk to you about that. And eventually it's sort of, it, it's starting to get a little bit later. The sun has definitely gone down and people are clearing out of the trestle tables. And, um, Roderick's gonna get up and, um, he, um, puts an arm, um, round Kirst's shoulder. Good night, little brother. Uh, I'm headed for bed. And, um, Kirst looks slightly sad and nods. Good night. And, um, he will trade our class with you. It, it's good to see you two again. You too, boys. And, um, Roderick will take off at this point. And, um, Kirst will, um, actually hang out a little bit longer. 
and then heads out, and you can see they're headed in different directions, yeah. which um, traditionally they both live at the same place, but um, so that, that, that might strike you as slightly surprising. I wonder what's going on there. I suppose it's Jagrin's retirement. Could only only one of them could be a patrol captain, presumably. There's a patrol captain. Yeah, there's um, uh, there's um, there are several patrol captains. There's one patrol leader. Patrol leader, that's what. I'm yeah, Jagrin is patrol leader. He's on the Council of Defenders. Yeah, he's um one of the people that really truly runs through now. There's not many people above him. Kirsten, Roderick are patrol captains. There's quite a few of those. Yeah. They're important in the town, but they don't have any real authority. Yeah. Well, that's not true. They have authority within the militia. They don't have any real authority within the town. I suppose only one of them can be a patrol leader. Hard thing for him to pick, but he's probably on the right side of it. Roderick's a little stiff at times, but he knows what he's about. I don't think Kirst would ever want to be a patrol leader. Even when you hang out with him for a long period of time, he hardly says anything. He's a nice guy, but I I think you need to, you know, talk to people to be a leader. It's a skill that can be learned. All right, they're gone now. You can have what you like off the plate. Ah, about bloody time. And, um, yeah, um... Uh, Pella will pass over her plate. She's saved some meat scraps at uh, uh, spaghetti. Thanks for being civilised. And old Pat Gale's head. <laughs> I don't think they'd mind. They're all right. Uh, just, we don't need to give the town more reason to talk. Better, better than be talking about the grass than us. Pella looks um, just slightly down. I wish people would just, you know, stop talking. It's... She looks round at the the evening. I'm glad I'm here and not, you know, lost somewhere in the forest, I guess, but it's such a small town. Don't you ever want to see a bit more of the world? He shrugs slightly. I, I, I suppose... While I'm there, I also wish that it rained, that it hailed gold coins instead of ice and snow. <laughs> yeah, it's just I wish we lived in you know. I mean, there's towns out there where you can just go out and see the world and not be immediately engulfed by a rampaging horde of orcs. Sometimes I wish we lived there instead of here. Aye, but there's towns out there where the sewers themselves are so treacherous that the entire city beneath your feet is infested with murderous aberrational tombs that climb out and feast on the citizenry at random. Nowhere's quite safe in the world. Right, and random undead armies just attack. Right? Because that's Kovosa, right? Random undead armies just all the time. I I hear that's a thing in the River Kingdoms too. (laughs) Yeah, they're constantly being attacked. They had, like, what, four ghoul armies through there just a couple of years ago? Yeah, you're right. It could be worse. I mean, we know how to deal with orcs. All right. Well, it looks like kind of a boring night. I think I'll come back to your place and uh, sleep in a bed. You're always welcome, Bella. (laughs) And she mounts Wolf 
and um, right, and the two of you sort of respectively ride and trudge back up the hill. Yeah. Il Tahoe. Um, you know, Alina is um, been out at the celebration and um, but probably hasn't spent a lot of time with you because you're clearly having positive social action with yeah. other people, but um, will um, have made it home before you and um, will smile at you as you come in. And give you a little hug. I saw you having a nice chat with the Graf boys. Aye, oh, they're good people. They are indeed. <laughs> and I see you bravely out. Uh, I, I see you uh, uh, um, outshone them in the tug of war. Aye, it's funny how the twelve-year-olds always manage to win. <laughs> it's important that children have confidence in themselves. It's one of the things I really like about living here. Uh, Ruby's got a good family there. Strong mother. Makes a difference. Um, so Helga just has children to un- essentially unknown fathers? Yeah, basically um, Helga went out and saw the world. Yeah. And then she turned up with a bunch of children. Then she yep. turned back up in Trunau with a bunch of children of varying yep. ages. Yep. Some of the children are half-orcs. So it's pretty clear that um, not all the children are human, It's pr- and, not, and the children don't resemble each other to a staggering degree. It's pretty clear that um, the, the, the majority of them are legitimately her kids. Yep. Um, some of them may not be, but the ones that are her kids, she's had to a bunch of different men. So, Tamar will, will say, oh, I, good mother, good mother figure will make all the difference, even if the last doesn't know who her father is, if, even if the last, even if the last doesn't have a father in the picture. Then, the slight edge of bitterness in her voice, wonder if she knows who her father is. And uh, Elena will come and sit now next to you and put a hand on her, your shoulder. He was a great man. I'm sorry you never got the chance to know him. I, I've heard it before. No one else in town will talk about him, though. Well, I wasn't living here. I, I was working in Freedom Town. No one, when I ca- I came here because it was a better pra- place to to raise a little one than well, Freedom Town's not a very nice place. It was probably a pretty pretty daft place to work, but I was young, foolhardy, and wanted to see the world. And daft. And she gets a reminiscent look in her eyes. It's the same reminiscent look every time. Yeah. As soon as I saw him walking into the tavern, I knew he was special. There was just something about him. So brave, so strong. He looked right at me, and it was like he knew me, like we shared something. We spent all our time together as much as we could. I, I mean, I had to work, of course, and um, he was busy too, asking questions in the town and working on his important mission. He only told me a very little about it. I'm sorry, I, 
if I'd known, I would have asked him more, but somehow we never found the time. We were always talking about so many things, about our dreams, our hopes. He had a great destiny. That was why he left. If he'd known about you, I know he would have stayed. But by the time I found out that I was pregnant, he had gone, he'd gone on. He's out there somewhere making the world a better place. I know it. And again, there's that um, mutters under his breath and dwarven, sure, it's a great mission. More important family than family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to be heard, but nor is Tamara incredibly subtle. You've noticed in the past that Elena seems to miss this entirely, and she misses it again. She just yeah. doesn't react in any way to that. Yeah. And, um... I know life's hard sometimes for you. I, I know it hasn't been easy, but... You do have a great destiny, and one day it'll all make sense. And she pats you on the shoulder, and... Heads, heads on out, 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 out get ready oh, for yeah. bed. Oh, you know, give her a good, say good, good night, Mark. Yeah, give her a kiss, give her a hug. Mm. Sit down at the table. I don't suppose that would be today. I don't suppose that would be tomorrow, though, would it? It certainly wasn't today. <laughs> Tomorrow's another day. I bet it will be. And at some point you head on up for bed. Absolutely. And you spend the night peacefully, which is always always really nice. You sleep deep. You sleep deeply and well. You have dreams, but they're not. Yeah. They're just regular dreams. They're not the particularly disturbing kind. Yay! You know? Night passes uneventfully. Yes, night passes uneventfully, and um, get up in the morning, and um, you know, breakfast happens strolling about the town. There is a, um, the Ramble House, the inn is not that far from your house, and, um, you can see there's a big crowd gathered outside. Yeah. And, um, you're sort of, I think, probably, you'd want to know what was yeah. going on right. here. Something's up, something's up. So you, you walk on over to the crowd, and you can just feel that this is an ugly crowd. They are they are really upset, yeah. really angry. And when people see you, it's not just a mutter. People growl, people spit, people make hit sign, signs. Stormgro, 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 Stormgro. Of course he's here. And this is not the normal reaction to you. This yeah. is this is something else. Yeah. So And I will start glaring back again. Yeah. Um, so, I think you want to know what's going on, so I would imagine, but you know, you don't want to talk to necessarily just anyone, so I'd imagine you sort of look around in the crowd for someone that you know you can ask a few questions and get some answers. Makes sense. So, um, let's say there's an old woman in the crowd who's, um, probably a grandmother of one of the, a mother of one of the farm, a grandmother and a mother of one of the farmers you routinely work with, someone who, um, you know, um, Let's call her Nanny Elise. Nanny Elise is someone that you can talk to and you can see her off to the side. So, step over to her. Nanny Elise? What's going on? Ah, Toma. 
It's a bad day. A bad, bad day. Terrible thing. Roderick Graff is dead. What? And she looks over at the Ramble house. Tomar. They're saying he killed himself. Dum, 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 dum.